Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. You don't live in Cleveland. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. And uh, we're sort of edging tentatively and carefully out of lockdown over here in the UK. Well, some more tentatively and carefully than others, I should say. But uh, we are in the, you know, football's back, cricket's back uh, in, in terms of sport. People are out in the pubs and and shops again, which is, uh, I don't know, for a cautious person like me, that's slightly worrying. Um, but no, we're carrying on, regardless of whether we're locked down or whether things are open or whatever. And especially we've got things to talk about now because we've got training camp in a couple of weeks. Teams seem to be uh, uh, marching towards the end of July for training camp. AJ Green, we've got some news about AJ. Uh, but before we get to all that, oh yeah, we've got a special guest as well who'll be coming up a bit later on but before we get to all that fun and frolics um it's time to bring in uh my partner in crime it's uh sorry sorry there's a person outside my i'm doing this in my bedroom and there's a person outside jogging in doing the slowest jogging i think i've ever seen Still, anyway, uh, <laughs> listeners don't want to hear that. Nathan Palmer, Nathan is back. Nathan is here. Hello, Nathan. How you doing, my son? You bright and well on this humid Sunday afternoon? Well, this is it, isn't it? It is humid. It is muggy. It's not. It's not sort of typical summery weather. And I tend to get so lethargic in grey and humid weather. Do you know what I mean? I can't muster up the energy to uh, to do much. Uh, we are recording on What's this. Your, what sort of weather? What, what what sort of weather do you go for, son? I mean, we, this is this is a, a very boring way to start a podcast. <laughs> it is. What sort of a, typically British, sort of I should man? say, talking about yeah, the weather. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like, what sort of man are you like with weather? You sort of, I can imagine you as like more of a sort of autumnal type. Of I am. If I had to choose a, a favourite season, it would be autumn. Uh, I like I like the colours of the leaves. I like going into pubs with a fire on. Uh, I like the slightly darkening evenings. Uh, um, I like the odd kind of burst of of uh, late season sun. Uh, it's just a perfect. Uh, it's not too obviously not too cold, but also, well, not too hot obviously because we've just had summer. But you know, I like it when basically everything dies. That's what I like, and the, <laughs> in in a kind of you know plant based way. And I like all the colours on the leaves and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, during the summer, if you if you can give me a sunny day, a dryish sunny day, about mid twenties, that's my perfect temperature. I think anything towards the late twenties or the early thirties, or even mid thirties, then I'm struggling a bit. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? I I see you as a proper summer geezer. I think. No, do you know my favourite month for the year? Well, well, June. Give me June every day. So summer June. then, basically. Yeah, but that's July and August is when all the kids break up and you're busy everywhere. And it's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm talking about the weather, not not children. Yeah, yeah, but June though is like there's no all the kids are at school. You got a bit more space. Like the weather's still pretty good. Like you know, it's not too hot. It's just coming out of that 
sort of spring time. I, I'm a big fan of June. I actually quite like the winter, you know. Yeah, I'm I, a I big don't fan mind of, like, I don't mind a bit of cold weather and like, you know, you know, big coat and a, a decent scarf. Like, I'm all about the winter, to be honest. It gets on my nerves after a while, or like too, <laughs> when it goes on for too long. Yeah, and like you know that that can be quite frustrating. But I, I'm not adverse to a like crisp winter's morning and a nice coffee. Some I know I do. It sounds a weird thing to say, uh, and if anybody's met me, they they will understand this. But because. Uh, uh, I do actually love wearing clothes, and um, you know, I like <laughs> wearing. I like, yeah, I like wearing coats, and I like wearing nice hats and scarves, and hunkering down in in kind of you know cozy pubs. And I do hope we'd be able to do that this winter, or else it's going to be a, a pretty barren old time. But what, again, what are we talking about? With well, the weather, bloody hell. Uh, we should be talking about the Bengals, and we do have some things to talk about. Further to our chat uh, last week, the big news broke that, uh, well, first of all, uh, the the as as we as we expected, I think most Bengals fans expected that the deadline for signing AJ Green to a long term deal passed without uh, as much of a squeak on uh, on Wednesday, I believe, the fifteenth. Uh, but then, a few days later, we got the good news uh, that AJ Green uh, signed his franchise tag without too much complaint. Uh, he seemed to be quite happy with that. And if you're getting 18 million for this year, who wouldn't? And furthermore, he 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 was he was he was pl- he was plonked in front of the media on a Zoom call and uh, uh, told everyone invited uh, including us because it was broadcast on the Bengals uh, website that he um, intends to retire a Bengal and that he totally understands the Bengals uh, you know uh, attitude and um, towards all this the fact that he hasn't played for a couple of years uh, and he looks forward to signing a you know a new contract Katie Blackburn came out she never comes out and says much but she came out and said that you know they love AJ and hopefully they'll work things out so things look much rosier on the AJ Green front yeah I think apart from signing into a long-term deal um, that was favorable money I think this is about as good of an outcome as we could have hoped for Um, we re-sign a fantastic player I think the best thing with it is he's come out he said he's reporting to training camp. He signed it. He's saying all the right things in his press conference. And that's what we want. The last thing you want for someone like Joe Burrow and the sort of good feeling that's around the franchise with the signings in free agency is a sort of holdout type situation or something like that with arguably your best player. You just don't want that. It's not a good start. You want AJ Green on that field available for Joe Burrow, building the chemistry, building the relationship. And I think it's fantastic news for all involved. I really hope that being on the franchise tag will motivate AJ even more than ever, especially considering he's not played as much in the last 18 months, to come out there, have a 1,000-yard season, have about eight-plus touchdowns, and really put the pressure on the Bengals for next season to sign him um, for a couple more years. Yeah, I agree. And, um, he, you know, if he does if he does uh, stay healthy this year, there's no reason why he can't get Julio Jones money, really. And, and frankly, he deserves it for all the service that he's put in and whatnot. But there's been a lot of chat recently. I mean, we, we spoke about it briefly. Um, I remember Adam at Touchdown 
uh, tips asked us about uh, if we were worried about um, uh, not, apparently none of the free agents have, have signed on the dotted line yet uh, and we speculated as to why that might be and then um, you know came out last week that Kevin Harmon of the Washington American football team who uh, have had a bit of a quiet week haven't they um, uh, he's come out and said he's he's done his ACL in and I think that's that's probably the reason why a lot of these clubs, including ours, are kind of very reluctant to sign uh, players who are inactive because, I mean, you mentioned it, it could be something to do with insurance and kind of getting round inju- injury kind of clauses in their contract. So the news that they are, they will be going, you know, turning up to the facility sometime in the next week and a half. Um is good news because then those players will be, you know, covered by various insurance bits and pieces. And uh, so, yeah, I expect a, a rash of, of free agent signings and, and rookie deals in the next couple of weeks, really. Yeah, they, I guess what might have happened is they might have a few sort of 10 like agreements in principle that are agreed and they're just waiting on a couple of like finite details just to finish it all off. Um, but as clubs, I mean, why, so- why would you want to sign someone on the dotted line why would you want to get a contract all drawn up when when technically they're sitting at home doing nothing? Uh and when, you know, if they do get injured working out doing their all their own workouts, you don't want, want responsibility for that, really, uh, in terms yeah. of insurance and, and payment and all the rest of it. So I mean as soon as what, what happens to that geezer from Washington then? Is he just in a situation where now Well he was under he... contract, wasn't he? So Uh, Kevin Harmon was drafted last year. I remember Sam, uh, very own Sam Ainger doing. But uh, Sam Ainger really liking Kevin Harmon uh, coming out of the draft. And uh, but it just shows you, it's like yeah, if you're, for instance, if you're, I don't know, Mackenzie Alexander, you just kind of signed a pre-contract agreement with the Bengals, right? And then there's suddenly this this pandemic hits, right? And you're at home, and you you know you need to work out to stay trim and whatnot. so you start playing a bit of basketball or you do your own drills in your back garden or you go and meet Nathan Palmer and Paul Hirons over there at Hampstead Heath for a kick around or whatever. And Nathan Palmer comes in with an absolute crunching tackle and suddenly <laughs> you're out for the year. Uh, that, that's not, that, that's not going to be covered by the club. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's not covered at all, isn't it? I don't know. That's why you no, would imagine. That's why you would imagine these clubs aren't signing players uh, fully. You know, so I've did, I made a really bad job of explaining that, haven't I? But do you know what I mean? No, no, no. I thought it was a good, a good attempt there, Sam. But Thank what happens if Joe Boy? If Joe Boy is yeah. like working out in his Ohio home and he's doing press ups and he like I don't know, like he collapses on the floor and tears his bicep. And he can't throw the ball this season. Do we not sign him? How on earth would that work? Like what? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. It's very odd, isn't it? Very odd indeed. So, but that's the good news. You know, uh, players are going to be coming back into the facility, and uh, no doubt, all wearing masks. Uh, even Bobby Hart, perhaps. We'll see. That'd be interesting to see, won't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> Um and uh, AJ's back in the fold and then suddenly we've got a full wide receiver room that at the moment um 
contains AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, uh, Auden Tate, John Ross, Alex Erickson, the geezer that they signed from the Rams, was it Michael Thomas? Um, you know, that's you've got to be happy with that uh, wide receiver room, haven't you? The, the the front three, Green, Ross, Boyd, is outstanding. Outstanding. Healthy, and they're all on the field at the same time with Joe Burrow and obviously Joe Mixon. Hugely impressive front um, front players on offense. Like really exciting. I, I'm, I'm not sold hugely on the depth. I think once you get to Ericsson and... Um, the guy from the like Michael Thomas and those sort of players, even Alden Tate. I think, I think as much as Alden Tate is a, a sort of a Bengals fan favourite, um, you know he may. Oh, I've got to say T Higgins as well. Great. Bloody hell! I forgive him. No, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I think Alden might be because T Higgins, AJ Green, and Alden Tate are very similarly sized players. I've got a sneaky feeling, as good as he is, as amazing as he is at catching the ball. I do wonder if if he's got a bit of an uphill struggle uh, this year to make the roster, Auden Tate. As strange as that might sound, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. Talking or you're right. I think I think I think Alex Erickson as well is going to struggle. But again, we'll talk about that nearer the time. Um, now, uh, PFF rated their top ten wide receiving uh, core uh, this week. Dallas Cowboys uh, came. At the top with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. Um, and, of course, they've drafted C.D. Lamb, which is exciting. Um, and uh, Randall Cobb's in there as well, that vet- the ex-Green Bay veteran. Tampa Bay at number two, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Uh, and, of course, uh, Brashad Perryman in there, I think. Uh, number three, Atlanta Falcons with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Uh, Laquan Treadwell. Uh, number four, the Saints with Michael Thomas. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, that might be a really good pickup actually for them. And uh, Traquan Smith. Buffalo Bills, that was a bit of a weird, weird one at five. Uh, Stefan Diggs, yes, very good signing. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, I don't know, he's a bit of a. You know, John Brown and Cole Beasley, you know, solid, solid group, but nothing to write home about them. Then the Chiefs at six with Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and Mikael Hardman. Uh, Demarcus Robinson is back in the mix. So, yeah, that's pretty strong. The Lions at seven with Marvin, our old friend Marvin Jones and Kenny Golladay. Amandola, uh, the fantastically named Geronimo uh, Allison, uh, Travis Fulgham. Eight, the Cardinals with Hopkins and Fitzgerald, uh, Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. The Broncos with Jerry Judy and uh, KJ Hamler alongside Cortland Sutton at number nine. And then a certain team called the Cincinnati Bengals at ten. So um, wide receivers have been in the conversation this week and uh, we're going to carry on that conversation. Um, What do you think to those rankings first and foremost? I thought it was quite fair around ten. I'm not sure... Whether a couple of those teams above us should be there, but I thought I thought you know number ten was a pretty good and fair ranking for our for our lads. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's about where we probably are. The, the thing with the Bengals, and this is why I didn't include T. Higgins on that top three um, I was talking about, is there's a lot of unknowns and unprovens there. I mean, AJ Green, by all the senses, is a proven player, but he you know, hasn't played a bit, as we've discussed. Tyler Boyd, 100%, you know, he's, he's played well over the last two years. And obviously with John Ross, we know there's a potential there, but, you know, it's it, it flashes here, it flashes there. He's not been a consistent performer. Um, and then T. Higgins being a rookie, hard to sort of give too much weight to him yet. But in theory, you know, we know the talent John Ross has got. We certainly know the talent AJ Green's got. If T. Higgins can play well, there's four players there that are, you know, really, really got some good potential. And I certainly think, you know, if healthy, we're higher up than 10th on that list. You know, if AJ gets a full season and so does John Ross... I think you're somewhere around sort of, you know, between five and six, maybe even higher if like they play a good season. So there's certainly the talent there. And I think, you know, I think it's hard for any of these ranking systems to give us much higher than a ranking of 10th for anything, frankly, based on the fact that, you know, we were the worst team in the NFL last year. But it's encouraging. You know, it shows you that um, people are respecting the players that we've got and that there is some real potential there. Absolutely. And another uh, stat that I saw this week that PFF have, have been kind of releasing lots of their kind of uh, best whatever from 2019. And Tyler Boyd was the best slot receiver. Embarrassingly, I can't pull it up on Twitter because I can't find it. But I, I didn't definitely didn't dream it. He beat out people like Cooper Cup and was the top slot receiver in the league in 2019. So that led me to ask and I put it out there on Twitter um, as well. Who is your favourite number two receiver uh, in Bengals history? Now, you can't have people like Isaac Curtis. Now, we've had some pretty good number ones in with people like Isaac Curtis and Chris Collinsworth and Eddie Brown and Carl Pickens and Chad Johnson and AJ Green. I mean, that's a pretty stunning list of, of number ones. But what about the number twos? What about those unheralded guys that... Uh, uh, you know, do some of the donkey work uh, and aren't perhaps as lauded as uh, their more illustrious uh, colleagues on the other side uh, of the field. So, Nathan, have you had a thought about this? I've got my ideas about this, but players that you could have, you know, you could have people like uh, Steve Kreidler or Chet Myers. Well, this is talking way back here. Um, you're talking Tim McGee during the Super Bowl run. Um, you're talking, or the second Super Bowl run, I should say. Obviously, you're talking Darnay Scott in the '90s. Who who is your favourite number two? I think it's a it's a pretty easy question to answer actually. But there has been some really good number twos uh, uh, in 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 the team's history as well. For me. I think you can't look past TJ Hushmanzada. I mean, if you look at his production over multiple seasons for the Bengals, um, statistically, he had a couple of thousand yard seasons. I think he led the league in receptions one year, which was he outrageous. Did. 2007, um, 112 uh, receptions. Yeah. I think the thing with TJ as well, first of all, in being a seventh round pick, is incredible to get that sort of production out of a guy like that. But it was also the clutch nature of his play. He was always one of those guys when I remember watching him that it'd be third down and seven and you desperately need to pick up a first down. And he was always the guy that made the, 
made the catch. He was very, very good in high-pressure situations, amazing hands, very, very good route runner. Um, I think if you can have a player like that with the consistency that he had, never was the sort of receiver to burn you deep and stuff, but just extremely reliable. Um, and I think that, for me, I mean, the, a special mention to Marvin Jones. I always thought Marvin Jones, when he was here, was an incredible player, and he really could take the top off you. Amazing at going up and getting the ball. Like when he, if he's a, you're in a contested catch with Marvin Jones, you back him to win that nine or about nine times out of ten. Mm. You know, extraordinary hands. I mean, I remember that ridiculous game he had against the Jets. So I think he had like four or five touchdowns, which was absolutely, absolutely insane. Um, and he's doing great things in Detroit, and it's a player that I really wish we'd been able to hold on to. Um, well, I mean, let's just look at his stats. I agree, he was a terrific player. Uh, 2012, he was drafted, and uh, 18 receptions for 201 yards. And then the next year, in 2013, that was when he really uh, began to make his mark. 51 receptions for 712 yards and 10 touchdowns. Didn't play at all in 2014. Now, 2015, the the fantastic run that the Bengals had, uh, 65 catches for 816 yards and um, four touchdowns. Uh, and that's when he left because he obviously, you know, uh, thought that he was a number one receiver. Uh, I think the Bengals offered him decent money, but perhaps quite not quite enough. Uh, and then he got 930,000 uh Sorry, 1,101 yards, uh, 508 and 779 uh, last year in Detroit. So he's he's pushed on a little bit, I think, uh, without actually setting the... I mean, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I like Marvin a lot. And um, uh, perhaps he's not quite, quite got the the figures that he he wanted. But just let's just look at TJ's stats because I think that the, a sign of greatness is if you can do it over... Uh, a number of years, not just perhaps a flash in the pan. And TJ got uh, drafted in 2001. Um, it wasn't until 2004, really, that's when he started to really kick in. Uh, 73 receptions for 978 yards, four TDs. 2005, that fantastic run that the team had, 78 receptions for 956 and seven touchdowns. Uh, the year after, in 2006, 90 receptions for 1,081 yards and nine touchdowns. But it was that 2007 season, 112 receptions, uh, 1,143 yards and 12 touchdowns. That was his career year. That was his Pro Bowl year. I mean, he's still in the la- in his last year in Cincinnati. Um, he still got you know 92 receptions at 904 yards and four touchdowns. Um, that I mean, he's a fantastic possession receiver. As you say, he had real grit and determination, and he's a clutch guy, pretty intense kind of player as well. The perfect foil, actually, for someone like, uh, you know, Chad Johnson, who was flamboyant and, you know what I mean, and, and kind of uh, doing crazy things, the dances, the jackets, the the dollar bills in referees' pockets, all that kind of stuff. Um, TJ was the, was the the best foil for that kind of player. Yeah, I, th- I think exa- exactly like you said, having Chad and TJ as a combo, not only personality-wise, but in terms of their playing styles, was almost perfect. You have Chad, the 
you know incredible feet and um great speed and can just you know beat anyone uh, off the line of scrimmage really really strong and then you've got tj just like you said the possession guy strong hands great route runner um and it just worked perfectly and you go back to that 2005 season very very talented team we all know uh, what could have been that season um and i think if you i mean you, you know the guy and this is sort of moving on to the modern day i mean if you look at tyler boyd's stats and you know we talked about um Hushman Zada and Marvin Jones, but Tyler Boyd's had a couple of thousand yard seasons in there. Now back they're a little bit skewed yeah. because he's not, he sort of basically played as the number one, hasn't he? Cause yeah, yeah. he's not really played that much alongside AJ green. It's very much been instead of AJ, uh, but nonetheless, um, impressive stats. And as we go, you know, as we said, going back to what we were talking about, about 10 minutes ago, if he is your number two guy, he's one of the best number two guys in the league at the moment. And oh, I'm really, really excited. Yeah. When, yeah. Yeah. When, when you, when you take the coverage off of him, so all of a sudden he's not just on his own going up against um, the other team's best cornerback. He's got AJ green to alleviate some pressure. Joe Burrow can run. People have got to be aware of that. He might find himself with a little bit more space downfield and uh, maybe generate a few more holes in beyond the defense. So I think that he has potentially got a, an interesting year ahead of him. I agree, and I think I think going forward, when you look uh, in several years' time, you know, maybe five, six years' time, when we're looking back at uh, Tyler Boyd's career as a whole, he will be remembered extremely fondly by uh, Bengals fans, not just because of his output and his production, uh, as you say, he's sort of back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, but he's really carried that wide receiver core on his own. He scored that. He had that down uh, moment, uh, down season, I should say, in 2017. But then he scored that incredible touchdown, uh, last second touchdown to beat the Ravens at Christmas time that uh, knocked them out of the playoffs. And then that, you know, because we all like to see people, I don't know whether it's a British thing or not, but we all love seeing the underdog rise up again. And he really had a down year in 2017. And then he used that uh, touchdown against the Ravens to really kick on in 2018. And I think, you know, the, you know that, that image of him crawling across the pitch against Miami in the last game, uh, sorry, the penultimate game last season, uh, because he was so cramped up and he'd been, you know, uh, was just, just a testament to how much of a team guy he is and how much grit and determination there is. I really like Tyler Boyd. I think he's excellent. Can I just say that uh, Tyler's been on our podcast TJ Hushmanzad has been on our podcast. Uh, Tim McGee is also up there for one of the best number twos in Bengals history after his uh, role in 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 the uh, helping the team get to Super Bowl twenty three in nineteen eighty eight eighty nine season, having that uh, fantastic nineteen eighty nine season himself, where we got sixty. This is amazing. Sixty five uh, catches for twelve hundred and eleven yards uh, with an eighteen point six. Uh, yards per reception. That's pretty amazing. An eight touchdown. We've had Tim McGee pretty- on as well. Um, so yeah, you know, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to say that as well. I'm going to make a case for Darnay Scott because um, Darnay, dear old Darnay, um, he partnered up with uh, Carl Pickens, who was a, a, an incredible wide receiver. And over, Check out these statistics. He was in Cincinnati for, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, right? Check these. 
1994. Now, of course, we're talking about the 90s here, the Mordor years for the Bengals, where it was just terrible for most of the time. There were certainly no winning seasons. There were a couple of 8-8 seasons, which were great uh, in context. Uh, but mostly the 90s were pretty awful. But Diane Scott was... Um, was uh, uh, drafted in 1994. His, first, his rookie year, check this out, uh, 46 receptions for 866 yards. 95, 52 for 821. 96, 58 for, for 833. 97, 54 for 797. 98, 51 for 817. Then his biggest year, 1999, 68. Uh, receptions for 1,022 yards. Then his final year in 2001, 57 receptions for 819 yards. That's that's 800, pretty, apart from one season, that's 800 yards plus for nine seasons. That's incredibly consistent. I was going to say, that's outrageous consistency. That's exactly the sort of numbers you want to be getting out of your number two guys or in that sort of mid-800 range. Yeah, don't just you think, don't, I was going to ask you, is, do you think that sort of 800 yards, 50 to 60, maybe 60 to 70 receptions a year is what you want from a from a quality number two? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends, I suppose, on how much of a how much difference there is between your number one and number two guy. If your number one guy is at the focal point of the offense, like a sort of my AJ Green in his prime, Michael Thomas style player that's getting you know 13, 14, 1500 yards, it might be quite difficult to get much more than eight hundred if you're the second guy. But um, also depends how much the team uses the tight end, running back, so forth, so yes, forth. Yes, that's but a really good to be, point. To be, yeah. to be getting 800 yards or more out of your number two guys certainly a, a very, very good position to be in. It's very rare that uh, a team has two guys going over the 1,000 mark. It does happen, but tends to be quite rare. Yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't really include Chris Collins within this because he... When he got drafted, the team in '81, the team was sort of in transition. Isaac Curtis was coming to the end of his career, uh, and when Collinsworth was drafted, he became pretty much the number one receiver as a rookie, which is a remarkable achievement. He got a thousand nine yards in that 1981 season, uh, and he he had for three four years. He was a re- actually sorry yeah up until '86. Uh, he was really the number one receiver, recording three Pro Bowls and four uh, out of six years. They were 1,000 yard plus. So Chris was really a number one. Um, so yeah, I think I think the uh, the top. I think the consensus is number one is T.J. Hushmanzada. Uh, number two, not far behind actually, is Darnay Scott. And Darnay, of course, made some. He wasn't quite as clutch as TJ Hushman's are. He made some crucial drops along the way, but he was a very good player. And I think Tim McGee third. And I can't wait to see where uh, maybe Marvin Jones fourth. And I can't wait to see where Tyler Boyd will go into the mix in about five or six. Maybe we can do this all again in about five or six years, Nathan. Well, me and you were midway for our 50s, son, back then. We're, you know, That's right, we're, yeah. uh, piling on the years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, uh, we've got to say goodbye to Nathan now because uh, you're off on holiday, aren't you? No, I'm off what on a, a shocker. What? But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be with you next week to uh, all these loyal podcast fans. It's uh, 
back um, back live and strong. I mean, we've been we're edging ever closer now, aren't we, to that hundredth podcast, and we've eight to go, son. Um, yeah. Is there any chance of us not making it? Do you think? <laughs> well, I know that you're going abroad, uh, so as long as you stay away from the virus, I think we'll be fine. Because I ain't going anywhere for the next week uh, or for the next month. I don't think. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll be all right for a hundred, really. I think. We've got to plan out what to do. We've got to do something special, haven't we? Really? So we've got some fireworks, bottles of champagne, some canapes, well, not some fancy, some some fancy lights. You know, I'm thinking the whole shabazz. Maybe our listeners can suggest uh, something special for us to do on our hundredth episode. But until next week, Nathan's got to toddle off. He's going to leave me here on my own. Uh, so we'll speak next week, Nathan. Have a good one. You too, my son. Well, as we all know, Nathan's now on holiday and I'm on my own, so I thought I'd better ring someone up for a bit of company for the next quarter of an hour. And I couldn't think of anyone better than our old friend from The Athletic, Paul Dana Jr. He's been he's been good enough to come onto our podcast more or less once a year for uh, almost twice a year. So it's great to welcome him back. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. And I, you know, I'm here for you. I got nothing to do, Paul. Just to, I'm ready to come on more often. You just let me, I, I need things to do right now besides sit and stare at the walls inside of my house. Well, we need, look, we like to share the love, but since you put it that way, right, you are on every week now, my friend. About a month, well, maybe I'll be a, co- like I'll be a co-host. I'll be a co-host <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> well, Nathan's on holiday. I think we, it's time to review his contract, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, there, there's, there is stuff to talk about. It's obviously been a very strange time. And you've been keeping, you and Jay have been keeping us entertained with here, that pod, podcast growling. Can't, I, can't, uh, you know, I can't think of how difficult it is to do sometimes when there's not that much to do. I think you guys would be taking a bit of time off during the off-season. We certainly would. But with the current situation, I think, you know, podcasts like certainly yours, not so much ours, is uh, kind of quite important to keep people that in their routines and familiarity. Um, but there is some stuff to talk about. Most notably, shall we start with AJ? Oh, uh, yeah. We talked about it to death on this program. You've talked about it to death on your pro. You've written some brilliant articles for The Athletic. I just wanted to ask you, what's the feeling do you get about next year? Are both sides committed, do you think, uh, looking past all the smoke and mirrors, all that kind of, you know, AJ was wheeled out last week onto Zoom for the for the mm-hmm. for the press conference. Um, do you think there's a real commitment from both sides to get a long term deal done uh, after next season? I think they are as committed to anything in 2021 as any of us are about anything in our lives beyond this year. I mean, honestly, I think both sides came to the table, wanted to get a deal done, had good conversations, but it didn't make any sense for anybody to commit to anything right now. And it's a whole lot of wait and see what happens over the next three months with how healthy he is, how he looks, how he plays, Mm. uh, what happens with the finances. I mean, trying – I've talked about this also in reference to a potential Joe Mixon extension. Trying to take certain numbers and place them into an uncertain future balance sheet is – it's no way – it's almost negligent uh, at this point to to do that because – and some of the teams that have found out ways to do it you know, whether the Chiefs have a unique situation they had with Patrick Mahomes and Chris Jones and 
And Mahomes even cut them a deal on the early portions of the cap because of the unknown of that. That, that's just how you have to go about business right now. When you're talking about a guy with an injury history who hasn't played in 24 games and all that stuff, it, it, I think both sides came to the realization it didn't make sense to do it now. I was taken away by the optimism and encouragement and openness about that, that when the season ends, they can revisit it and get a deal done in that period from January, whenever the season ends, uh, until March when free agency starts. That's the Bengals – in AJ Green's new window to get something done before he hits the market in free agency and sees what that looks like. You know, I, I they didn't have to do that. They, they didn't have to come out and say that and speak with encouragement on that and, and talk about how much that means to them. You know, they have put an embargo on talking to players this during all of this, because there was no rules put down. So they just kept all players off. AJ's the first one we've talked to since the mm. season ended. And so they didn't have to do – they could have stuck with the embargo. Katie Blackburn does not make long statements in releases. She didn't have to do that. It was all a point of them to say enough with the – there's a lot of negativity or assumed negativity out there about what was going on with this. And I think it was their point of saying that is not the situation. These are two sides very much on the same page about what they want and understanding that this is just not the time for either side to get that done. A lot of people um, are excited by this. They're, they're ple- very, you know, f- certainly from the fans, they're very, very pleased um, because they think a healthy AJ Green and this new dynamic new quarterback is just such an irresistible scenario, you know, both in terms of what AJ has left as a player, but also in terms of what he can do for your T Higgins is for Joe Burrow. Um, would you agree with that? His value is actually quite high in that, in those respects. I mean, all I know is this. I've never seen a player outside of the quarterback position affect wins and losses more than A.J. Green over my entire career covering anybody. And that's reflected in the numbers. I mean, 66-44-1 with him, 7-25-1 without him. And now, granted, there are scenarios like last season, 2-14, and 14, and but, I mean, that's been the case throughout his career with great offenses, with Muhammad Sanu and Marvin Jones and the guys that could fill in for him. Mm. And it's just different in this league, in a passing league, in, in the way this league is set up. By That's, you know, yards per attempt and ex- expected points per attempt are really the numbers that most clearly correlate to wins and losses A.J. Green affects those. Like, he gets open. He makes catches he shouldn't make. He breaks things long. You, you, anybody, you know, anybody that's watching the Bengals understands that. Mm-hmm. And without him, the ripple effect is significant because there is not a one, another one on the roster. And there hasn't been since he's been here. And they've had very nice two compliments. You know, they've had the Marvin Joneses, the Muhammad Snoods, and Tyler Boyds. These are really high-level number two compliments. They're not ones. And the difference for an offense when you have a one versus when you don't is everything in this game. It is and because it affects how defenses play you. Tyler Boyd one-on-one is much different than Tyler Boyd facing double coverage. And Tyler Boyd is going to destroy you in one-on-one. But teams haven't had to respect him. Like, they haven't had to do that. They just put a double. They put a safety over the top on him because they're not worried about anybody else. We've barely seen Tyler Boyd as one of the premier slots in this league Mm. play with AJ Green we've barely seen it and when we did the offense was fire 
They were destroying people. People forget they went five and three with, and I'm not, this is not hyperbole, historically the pay on pace for the worst defense in the history of our game. Hundred years, okay? Like they went five and three with that. They were four and one with a defense that was awful and got somebody fired in their first season. Like that, and Tyler Boyd really was coming into his own that year. But so those guys playing together, Joe Burrow, all of that stuff is it feeds off of having AJ Green as a premier one, or at least some some percentage of that, eighty five, eighty percent of it, that demands the respect of a defense demands the double team attention of a defense or else he will smoke you. And with, when you have that, it opens everything for everybody else for Mixon, for Boyd, for Higgins, Ross, Tate combo, whatever that is. It all starts with having a guy that the, the defensive coordinator starts the, when the moment they hit Bengals tape and say, got to make sure we take care of that guy. Mm. Um, Looking at the wide receiver room now, it's pretty well stocked and stacked yeah. in every sense of the meaning of the word. Um, anybody you think going into, let's just say, training camp happens, uh, we're assuming that. Any, any guys on there you think are uh, going to have to work hard to make that roster? I mean, Alex Erickson didn't have a great season last year. He's yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I, I, I think the top of it is clear. I think it's the, your starters are green. Boyd and Higgins, I think, will be the starter on the outside. And then I think Ross and Tate have such complementary skill sets. Like you need a speed, you have a pa- a play or a package that's based on a speed receiver on the outside. You can put Ross out there to run deep or post or whatever it is you need for a speed receiver. You need a big body guy with a huge catch radius, a red zone weapon, uh, Auden Tate you know, is really premier great hands in that respect, creating those windows. Um, and then T Higgins, you know, can be kind of more of your all around starter guy. You're grooming to be the next AJ. Mm. Those guys to me form a really nice, you know, I, I like golf analogies. I mean, it's a really nice golf bag. I mean, you've got, you've got the driver, you've got a nice little pitching wedge. You, you've got a seven iron, you know, you've got your, whatever your main club is. And, and the, that's important in today's day and age of sub package football mm. of every play looks different and has different pieces. You need to have those clubs that you can pull out when you need them in certain spots. And they've got that. Um, after that, everyone's fighting. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think after that is, is wide open Alex Erickson because he's been a really quality player, you know, in some tough spots for you. He has slot, help that he could give you special teams potential um certainly can you would think maybe has a slight head up but you know stanley morgan damon willis guys that made an impression as undrafted guys as rookies um you know there's gonna be another class of undrafted rookies i mean there's guys it's a big it's a big mix the thing is with with one or no preseason games with very limited off season it's tough for a new guy to crack the code this year it's just not going to be easy you're going to stick a bunch of guys in the practice squad. I hope to see them later. So that to me, heads up, that's a, that's a heads up for Erickson even more so to lay in maybe a last spot um, just because that he's a known quantity and there's not a lot of opportunity to decide what these other guys are yet. Mm. Well, let, let's switch to the running back room. You've written some fantastic articles on Joe Mixon and uh, let's hope he chooses the right year to hold out this this time around. <laughs> um, yeah. Are you expecting... <laughs> Are you expecting 
Dear old Joe, um, yeah. are you expecting that kind of action from Mixon? Or as you've been explaining in your articles, this whole kind of COVID landscape or post-COVID landscape is going to be very tricky uh, for someone to negotiate in. And if you look at some of the, uh, I'm just looking at some of the list of free agent running backs next year, you've got Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Mixon, Kenyon Drake, Gurley, Fournette, James Connor, Matt Breeder, Philip Lindsay, Kareem Hunt, James White, Tariq Cohen. Mar- I mean, we had a situation with quarterbacks this year where mm. I think you, you, again, you put it perfectly, where it was like uh, a game of musical chairs and the music stops. And there was a, there at least kind of like two or three guys left on the outside because there were no spaces left. Do you envisage that kind of scenario next year? Because apparently next year's draft is also pretty strong. Pass is pretty strong for running backs. That's what I was going to say. You mentioned all those guys that any team would feel pretty comfortable putting in as their starter. And you, and we hadn't even gone through the list of rookie running backs, which is arguably the best way to approach the running back position is when you feel like you need one, just draft one. And then you get yeah. one for four years on the cheap and, and their best years. So uh, I would argue that's probably a better case scenario than it paying Joe Mixon $13 million a year. I mean, I, I don't know that I would get much. I shouldn't get much argument on that. Uh, when you think about what you could do with $13 million on any other position, namely <laughs> offensive line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you talk about what you can do that, Improving your offensive line with $13 million is far more important than having Joe Mixon with $13 million. Now, that said, it's up to Joe Mixon and his camp to understand what that market is. Ask Andy Dalton, ask Jameis Winston, ask Cam Newton, who are all making $3 million or less, um, what that looks like when you're on the outside looking in. And then you, do, then you figure in at a position that the league already doesn't value. Mm. I mean, you're really in trouble now. Derrick Henry got a deal done just uh, at the at the deadline on the franchise tag, and people say, "Oh, it was like four years, fifty, I think," and which is which is a big number. But when you look at it, there's only two years guaranteed, and that's yeah. the thing. Nobody wants to guarantee long term money to a running back, and the Bengals but, never do, right? It's all well, yeah, right. And and specifically in this case, there's no, uh, you know, to, the idea that Katie Blackburn and the Bengals would settle for anything other than a structure that resembles Derrick Henry and at a cheaper price mm. is crazy. And so Mixon's probably going to have to come. And, and if I were him, I'd take whatever I could get. Mm. Whatever the bet, his best value is going to be the Bengals. Like the Bengals are the one team that's going to value him more than anybody else. Mm. If mm. he hits the open market, he, he's not going to like what he finds because um, he's not going to find more money, I can mm. tell you that, than what he's probably going to see right now. Um, because it's only going to get worse. <laughs> and teams are going to have less money because the cap's probably going to go way down um, or teams are going to be facing a much different financial situation after a year with almost no fans. You know, you're talking teams potentially $40, 50000000 million salary cap drop. I mean, that's, that's a disaster. That's significant. Um, so, so you're not going to like any of that. If you can find a way to get any guaranteed money on the table, if you're Joe Mixon right now, you should take it. And it's just a matter of whether him or his camp decide to do that. Um, but, you know, that's what it is. I mean, it's up to him. If both Green and Mixon being on this team in, say, 2022, do you think? 
I think it's okay. I mean, I, I, I could see them getting a deal done with Green, and I could see them getting a deal done with Mixon. I mean, I think they'd like to. I think they like that idea. Um, you know, is it? It's probably both of them. Mm. Twenty-five to thirty percent that they're both here, mm. but I don't think it's. It's certainly not an impossibility. Mm. Um, it's, you know, they're a team that would love to reward but they view to be their best players and mm-hmm. they were, they view those guys as some of their best players. So I, I could, I could see that. I could, I could see that being the case. Okay. Um, just a few qu- last couple of questions, Paul. Um, training camp again is mooted and the, the, the league seems inexorably marching towards this. It's going to happen. We're going to be playing in September. We're going to, and obviously some of the players have kicked up a first quite, quite rightly I think um, so just imagine that training camp does go ahead in the next week or so we've got the rookies coming into PBS tomorrow we're recording this on Monday the 20th so the rookies are due in to PBS tomorrow what's your kind of interaction with those guys going forward what's I mean we spoke off line that uh, or before this the, before the chat that you know you've pretty much been kind of office bound these past three four months um, Will you be heading down to PBS for kind of face-to-face contact, at least socially distant contact with, with the players and the coaches? So what, what's your kind of interaction going to be going forward? I, I wish. Uh, the, the interaction will be watching practice. Right. That will be it. Everything else will be like we're talking right now over Zooms or phone calls or texts or whatever. I mean, that's pretty much where it's at. Like the day – the players across the league are off limits to any sort of contact with media, no matter how they're uh, tiered. Um, So that's not going to happen except over phone calls and zooms. Uh, Coaches is left up to the clubs, whether coaches want to do some sort of socially distant, the Bengals are going to take the super conservative route and just shut it all off. Uh, in as far as in-person contact goes, they will allow us to go watch training camp practices and then leave basically. I mean, that's it. <laughs> and then get out of here. Uh, I think there's a chance that some of us may be able to use like a press box, right. um, but nothing on the field level floor, nothing down. I mean, it's just, right. it's locked down. It's just find a way. I mean, they have enough problems trying to figure out how to keep these players from potentially giving it to each other if somebody shows up with it, uh, that worrying about others on the outside, they're just not going to take any chances. So, and that's fine. Like that's what this year is. I'm not going to complain about it because, you know, we're just happy that they're, we're able to keep the games going and do whatever we can do, you know? And so we're trying to find new fun ways to, you know, do our jobs with zoom calls and phone calls and not talking to somebody in person uh, do our best doing that and then just see, you know, see how it evolves as the year goes on. Maybe if things get better or as things loosen up or whatever, there's more getting used to baby steps of this process. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit, it, it, it relaxes a little bit, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not, but um, that's, that's going to be basically it. I can tell you what I saw at practice and that'll be that. Okay. Um, tra- let's talk about training camp. I'm sure you and Jay are going to go, you know, deep dive into this on, on here, that podcast growling and your own articles, but just give us a flavor of the, of the training camp contest that you're looking forward to. What, what, what are the position groups to, to look out for? Do you think? 
I think what's probably most important to this year is in the in this situation of really none or one preseason game and no offseason program and mm-hmm. how quickly can these new defensive pieces find instinctual reaction time? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're talking about Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes and Von Bell and DJ Reader and you know what and that's not even counting guys coming back learning new wrinkles that Lou Anarumo is putting in defensively I mean they're trying to overhaul personnel wise and then obviously some scheme this defense Mm. and do it without any of these guys I mean I would say Josh Bynes could be if you count him you could have six of your 11 starters be new guys that weren't here last year and they've never practiced together before Mm. how quickly can they come together and figure that out and and find a way to start to master this system and sync with the other guys you know, the idea that they're going to be able to do that in one preseason game and, you know, a few padded practices mm. is unrealistic. I mean, you're looking at, to me, this offseason when you count a rookie quarterback and what I just mentioned defensively, you know, you've wiped out any – I mean, those first four games of the regular season are really hard to count as a real evaluation. I mean, it's just going to take time. And – they're just going to have to hope that they could steal a couple of wins from other teams that are battling similar type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what I'll be watching is, is how quickly those defensive pieces can start to figure it out. Mm. And what about Zach? I think we all really like Zach as a person. His positivity is incredible. He seems like the modern coach in terms of outlook and interaction that we've been kind of waiting for. God bless Marvin and all, but you know, um, mm. Is, is would it be right? Last year, I think they were mitigating circumstances to the team's pretty horrendous showing. Let's face it, even though they did improve some in the in the final part of the season. But you know the fact that he started so late, the injuries, having to get people like John Jerry and Andre Smith <laughs> back off the street, all that kind of stuff. It didn't feel like he could do what he really wanted to do offensively. Um, and of course, he didn't really have the time to evaluate the, the the roster completely. And also, you know, Lou and those guys coming in so late, it was it just seemed to be like the perfect shitstorm, really. Um, yes. Uh, so, are we right to think that this year, this is the time to really evaluate Zach and his coaching skills this year? Is he going to be under pressure in a pandemic? Uh, <laughs> that's just it. You know, it, coach, I, coaching in the NFL is hard. Mm. There's no easy year. There's always some extenuating circumstance you have to overcome. Now, yeah. Zach Taylor had to come overcome last year's shitstorm, and now this year's pandemic. Like, yeah. that's pretty rough one, too, to start your career as a you know, you mid, in your mid 30s. And even asking the question. Yeah, it, it's, it's an old quote that just, it's very simple. It's these jobs are hard. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. that's why, you know, guys lose their jobs all. It's, it's hard. It's hard to do. And, mm-hmm. At some point, we have to stop making excuses and start evaluating. Mm. Um, I, I do think it buys him probably an extra half of a season here, okay. um, you know, to get used to this. But I, I'll say this: if they on the field 
attack things with the same sense of calculated purpose as they did this season off the field in comparison to the first year, which was just rudderless, hoping to figure things out on the fly, you know, originally. And then this season, very much calculated plan and executing that calculated plan and having a real sense of purpose. Um, and what they were and who they needed to be and and what that looks like and how you do it. If the play on the field has that same approach as this, as the biggest difference we saw with them off the field, then yeah, I, I I like his chances and I, and you have to at some point start to evaluating him and Mm. uh, you know, look, he's going to be defined by Joe Burrow. His time here will be about Joe Burrow's time here. If Joe Burrow struggles, if Joe Burrow doesn't look like the guy that he was at LSU at all and they can't seem to find a rhythm with him or anything, that's on Zach Taylor. That is his job now. No one is going to blame Joe Burrow if Joe Burrow plays poorly, which is the weird thing about that. I mean, they're going to blame Zach Taylor because he's the QB guru. He's the young QB coach. He's the one that just got this star pupil. This is, this is him. This is your team. This is your guy. So if he can make this guy, if this guy goes out and plays well, Zach Taylor will be fine. If Joe Burrow struggles for a couple of years, Zach Taylor's job is in jeopardy. That's just that's the nature of this game and what the position that he's in. Okay, final question, Paul. Uh, we thank you for your time. What uh, what would what would represent progress for you this year? Would it be a record? Would it be a level of play? Uh, would it be what would it be? What would it look like? I, I I think it has to be wins at some point, but it probably is more progress. I mean, this is not the year where I think you're talking, you know, talking about being a playoff contender. I, I don't think that's realistic, especially when you stole an offseason from a team that desperately needed it. You know, if they had some miracle fast start, maybe you start to assess it differently. But I think, I think you're looking for Joe Burrow to start to look like that guy. At some point, he needs to start to look like that guy. Mm-hmm. and that they're figuring it out with him, that he's going to be good. Yeah. If you have that, I think you're okay. Um, you know, you need to win more games. I, I think if you're in that, if you're in that, shoot, if you went eight and eight, that would be like playoffs. You know, that would be what a step. If you went into 2021 having gone from two wins to eight and Joe Burrow started to look like that guy and you have a young core that you're building around him and you can have another offseason to build a little more, you feel great, right? Like you feel great. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just think you, you, you win six, seven games, but the second half of the season, you really look like a team that's, yeah. that has a lot of potential in the coming years. And you can, it, you know, you start to open that window. That's yeah. what you want to see. If you don't feel like the window's starting to open, then that's a problem. And if they lose, you know, if they win two or three games again, that's a problem. They, they spent too much. They have too many good players now. Mm. for that to happen even in the pandemic so I, I think that's what it looks like you know you win six seven eight games Joe Burrow starts to look like a guy and you see a young team gelling together mm. um think 2003 Bengals yeah yeah um you know it starts it, it starts to turn for you that's that's I think what you're looking for 
Well, we're going to keep our fingers crossed. They are unprecedented times for everyone, but especially in the sports world, I guess. Well, not especially, but equally in the sports world, I guess. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens. But we're excited. We can't wait for something to happen. Let's hope it does. Uh, Paul, thank you once again so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to talk to you. And uh, stay safe over there, man. Yeah, you do the same. You do the same. Thanks for having me on. Well, there we go. That was Paul Dana Jr. And it's always a treat to talk to Paul and he's been a fantastic supporter of us uh, so we can't thank him enough and lots of interesting stuff there obviously uh, most notably I think about AJ and uh, Joe Mixon and there is the real possibility that in a couple of years time one or perhaps both of them might not be on this team and and that's going to break a lot of Bengals fans hearts but um you know, Joe has, doesn't have great leverage at the moment, especially as we mentioned with all the f- uh, the free agent uh, running crop next year, running back crop next year, and certainly uh, the really strong draft um, uh, coming out of college next year. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, there's lots more to be written and to be followed uh, in this story um certainly for AJ as Paul mentioned the negotiations will probably start kind of spring next year so too with Joe who knows what's going to happen and of course you can follow Paul at Paul Dana Jr on Twitter and uh, do subscribe to The Athletic where he and uh, another old chum of ours Jay Morrison do a fantastic job with their articles and podcasts now for this final bit Uh, I'm very pleased to say that uh, since Nathan has toddled off to Italy, uh, I have managed to find that tweet regarding Tyler Boyd. And um, uh, PFF have compiled all these little bits and bobs, uh, these little tidbits, these little morsels of information. Since 2018, uh, Tyler Boyd has recorded uh, 1,509 yards from the slot. And he beats out, that's the most yards by a slot receiver. Um, And at number two is Julian Edelman with 1,289 yards. Cooper Cup is third with 1,270 yards. Tyler Lockett is fourth with 1,224 yards. So there's some serious names there. And it just goes to show you that Tyler is on course to have a very, very uh, productive Bengals career you know he already has but you know as we mentioned earlier five six years down the line it'd be really interesting to see uh what his production is and as as Paul said you know it's not often that he and AJ Green are on the on the on the same field together so that's one thing to really look forward to um this year now um uh Paul kept me company for 15, 20 minutes there, probably about 25 minutes actually. So thanks to him. And now it's your, uh, it's your turn. It's time to go uh, through the correspondence. And as ever, we're very appreciative of your interaction. Uh, we are at today underscore UK on Twitter and Bengals UK on Facebook. And I'm going to attempt to answer these questions on my own. So let's start with Peter Dadswell at Dadders. Um what specific position group on an NFL team excites you the most when it is a dominant group? A DB room who post high interception numbers with a cool nickname nickname like the No Fly Squad or Bengals' own SWAT team 
a dominant D-line with a wrecking ball in the centre and sack artists coming off the edge, uh, a running back game that uh, sees multiple, multiple runners all capable of busting a long run at any time, making their opposition fans hold their breath the minute the ball is handed off, or a high-flying wide receiver core capable of scoring from anywhere, dominant in the air, and underneath, the glory boys of the NFL. Yeah, I agree, the wide receivers are the glory boys, but I really don't think there's anything better um, than seeing outstanding wide receiver play. You know, crisp roots, uh, big bursts of speed, those kind of sideline, uh, toe-tapping toe catches, uh, contested catches down the field... Uh, you know, foot races with the defensive backs. Uh, there's a reason why they're the glory boys, uh, because I think out of everyone, perhaps they're the most athletic. Uh, running backs are a, a kind of a, a different breed and a different kind of athletic profile. And, you know, everyone loves to see running backs barreling through the offensive line and, and taking on linebackers. But... Uh, and he's right, defensive backs, they have a... They're more of a kind of a... It's tr- tricky, isn't it? Because American football or the NFL has one-on-one battles all over the field, and yet the units are quite interesting. You know, as as Pete says, the defensive line, the linebackers are a unit. Um, the uh, the secondary is a unit, although that rel- but they all rely on individual play, and that's what makes the game... Uh, so fascinating um, yeah I love seeing defensive backs clamp down I love seeing defensive ends and defensive tackles um, disrupting the offensive line there's also nothing uh, quite like seeing an offensive line completely in sync and uh, in rhythm and just kind of executing those those plays so so well but yeah for me it's the it's always the wide receivers I think um yeah um so next uh tom mcdowell at wagat dub dd um uh answering the question who is your favorite uh um who is your favorite number two receiver in bengal's history no surprise that tom says tj hush manzada hush without a doubt tom says and i say it's no surprise because tom has about 98 TJ Hushmanzada jerseys. I know that for a fact. Um, VB at Von Blade. He also goes with TJ Hushmanzada. Jamie at Trequite Beaster. Favourite number two is definitely Hush. And he follows up with a question. There's a lot of legal dispute between the NFLPA and the league, and rightly so. Before we can go back to training camp, I anticipate similar wrangling before you and Nathan can do the pod. What demands are you making of each other? Well, I don't know what demands he's making of me, uh, but I know what I'm going to make. I'm I'm going to get in touch with HR. He's gone on another holiday. He says he hasn't had a holiday this year, but I tell you what, um, he seems to be on holiday every other week, really. Um, so, yeah, I think the demands are less holidays for Nathan. And, in fact, no, no. He's had enough holidays to last him a lifetime. No holidays for Nathan. Uh, and you can hashtag that as well. Uh, Michael Smith at solid underscore handle. Solid handle. Uh, Sanu, he, ans- he, he answers the number two receiver question with Sanu. 
Just look how much more threatening the aerial game was with him on the roster at wide receiver and quarterback. Uh, and my question is, what's your fair, favorite pair of trainers ever? Uh, well, that's a good. Well, that's a good point about Mo Sanu, But I kind of tend to, because he was on the same team as AJ and Marvin. I I would say if you're going to discuss the number three receiver, then I think uh, Mo Sanu was was probably the best number three receiver we've ever had. But he's a fine player. He did a good job for us, didn't he? Um, and the question about what's your favourite pair of trainers or sneakers ever, I think um, over the past sort of 10 years, I've become a Vans sort of man. I'm a skate shoe kind of guy. They're much more comfortable. Well, they're not comfortable, but they suit my needs much more than a kind of chunky Nike Air Jordan or whatever. Um, I'm not going for Dunlop Green Flash, uh, although I did. I think I used to have it. So I got asked about that the other day. Um I did used to have a pair, I think, back at school. Didn't everyone have a pair of Dunlop Green Flash at some stage? Um, I do remember saving up a long time for a pair of Air Jordans at school. Uh, and I felt quite quite happy with that, quite cool. Um, but I don't think they lasted too long, actually. So, yeah, I'm, I go for Vans. Every Christmas I've got this um, almost tradition now. I'll go to uh, one of these kind of cut price shopping outlet, shopping malls um, in Birmingham at Christmas with my family and we'll, we'll go and hit the sales sort of uh, in between Christmas and New Year. And they always have, well, they have a, also a kind of an IMAX cinema there in, at this place. And uh, so we'll do a bit of shopping, have a bit of food, and then we'll go and see the latest Star Wars movie on the IMAX, and that's been tradition for the last sort of four or five years. And there is a Vans uh, outlet shop there, and uh, I'll go and buy a pair of cheap Vans uh, for about 25 quid, and they'll see me through the next uh, year or, or so. Um, so, yeah, I'm a Vans man, I think, uh, Michael. Uh, next, Andy Kaluna at Kaluna UK. Hello, Andy. Uh, he says he likes Chris Collinsworth. Now, I think, again, in, in part one, so I mentioned Chris Collinsworth because he was really number one receiver and then slipped down to two very briefly and then number three when the Super Bowl uh, came around in 88-89. So uh, I'm not going to allow Chris Collinsworth. So there, sorry, Andy. Dreams of witness at D. Witness. If we can count Marvin Jones as a number two... He'd be my favourite. Was devastated when he left. Incidentally, at the exact time, it all went to shit. Well, yes, you could correlate that. Um, but then they did draft Tyler Boyd after that, didn't they? So, uh, and Tyler might actually uh, kind of have more production in Cincinnati than Marvin Jones. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I know a lot of people who were upset when um, Marvin left uh, the Bengals. Um, and he's done a good job in Detroit, and he's a very good player. I think he's got that real X factor, and I, he, he's his ball catching, which sounds ridiculous for a wide receiver. What I'm about to say, but he was really good at catching the ball, especially in space. He made some fantastic, fabulous catches. So he's a very good player. Um, but I, I think you know Tyler might Tyler might actually uh, kind of outperform him in terms of numbers uh, going down the line. So we'll have to. Have to see about that one. Uh, 
Um, Zadok at Z Zadok. I'm going to give you a solid handle. I'm a bit more generous with my solid handles than uh, you know who. So, um, Zadok, I'm giving you a solid handle. Solid handle. Solid handle. He says, TJ Hushmanzada, best and my favourite. Oops, your UK, make that favourite. Of course, he uh, spelt favourite the American way, then the UK way. Very good. I'm impressed with that uh, attention to detail, uh, Zadok. Warrior at Warrior Nate 99 Hoosh, then Darnay Scott, which is, I think, my order. So I agree with you uh, very much there, Nate. And uh, next we have Matt Moon at Matt Moon. If you were a good player negotiating a Bengals contract and you were forced to choose, would you rather have a bonus based on all-pro team selection, the Presticides, Pro Bowl selection, a third each players, coaches and fans, or on your Madden rating, so EA Sports owns scouting. Oh, goodness me. Um, see, I've never really cared much for Madden ratings, and I really don't know what the fuss is about um, with all this Madden malarkey. So that goes out the window for me. Um, I think it's all got to be about your peers, hasn't it, really? So if you're going to get truly rewarded, uh, I'd like it to be the Pro Bowl selection, a third uh, each of players, coaches and fans. I think that's cool, isn't it? Getting voted to the... Even though it's kind of demeaned these days, uh, actually with more fans voting, quite frankly, uh, you do want your peers uh, to select... Uh, you for things uh, to give you accolades I think there's no greater accolade actually in a sport being a pro sports person and your peers uh, selecting you for like uh, you know the best 11 of the year or whatever so I'm going pro bowl Matt um, we'll see Duncan Newton that slam dunk the funk solid handle in fact that might be my version I could sing it couldn't I solid handle Solid and oh. Right, Marvin Jones Jr. for me. Always remember TDs against the Jets at PBS. He was on fire. Shout out to Scott Gibb. Looking forward to his... I can't really say that on the podcast. He C-bombed me straight there. I can't say that, Duncan. His bleep bleep making the long-awaited return. In fact, I have it down as the comeback hashtag of the season. Keep up the sterling work, gentlemen. Um... Scott Gibb is a Scotsman, very nice man, and uh, he's a bar man in Edinburgh, and he's off back to work, and he's uh, one of the joys of following Scott on on Twitter, at Scott Gibb One, is uh, reading his infuriated tweets about his customers, or the other alternative that he causes customers, and the behaviour that he has to put up with. So go and follow Scott Gibb, some high-class uh cussing and sea bombing almost on a daily basis actually so you know if you like that kind of thing that's good uh bengal's captain at bengal's captain hello jeremy um he says mj or tj tough decision i'm leaning mj because he left and continued his production tj left and disappeared mj worked hard to get better to push for looks and he got him just like tj yeah two outstanding players what i would say perhaps to counter argue that I think TJ did it over a great, greater number of years in Cincinnati. Uh, um, he was there for kind of eight years, wasn't he? Uh, MJ for like three, four years. Um, so I, I'd always go TJ on this question, I think. Uh, 
And that's about it, I think. Um, thank you very much for bearing with. I hope you enjoyed uh, our chat with Paul Dana Jr. And of course, you know, it's all going to be happening. Uh, the rookies are back in town uh, tomorrow, which is Tuesday the 21st. Uh, all being well, the, the veterans will be back at some stage, maybe a week or so. We're still waiting for the NFL to pull their fingers out and get their kind of safety advice and figure out how they're going to do uh, training camp. Um, but things are slowly starting to grind back into life. And obviously we all hope that the uh, countdown to the season itself uh, continues. There's some discussion about having one preseason game instead of two. I don't think the players want any at all, actually, but one might be the compromise. Uh, so we just have to wait and see. But, you know, uh, from tomorrow, we're going to be seeing pictures of, you know, the rookies in the building, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, as Paul said, uh, they've got a job on to make sure everyone gels in time. Uh, so from now until September, it's going to be crucial to get everyone on the same page. And Joe Burrow is actually going to be wearing a Bengals uniform for the first time in Cincinnati from tomorrow. He'll be throwing to receivers at some point. He'll be working out. He can actually get to work uh, with T. Higgins and, uh, you know, all those guys that we drafted. Uh, and I can't wait. And I'm sure you can't wait either. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, as I say, next week we'll be focusing a bit more on training camp and uh, asking many of you to contribute to our, our uh, training camp preview. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, uh, you can reach us as ever uh, at today underscore UK on Twitter and Beggles UK on Facebook. Um, so until that time, it's a big who day from me. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.